most of you know, most of you have probably come to some of the pod meetings. Uh, it's just a space for people who are thinking about creating their own podcasts or who have already created their own podcasts to meet and network and, and learn new skills. Um, so we're going to be hearing first from Francois um, of IONO. Um, and he's going to give us a quick overview of the kind of landscape at the moment in the podcasting landscape in South Africa. Um, and then we're going to come to our guests, Eric Eddings and Verilyn Williams. Um, and I'll introduce them once we're finished with Francois. Um, we'll then uh, do some questions and answers, a question and answer session, um, uh, all together. Um, so just hold your questions until the end of everything. Right. Am I on? Thank you very much. Well, it's such a pleasure to be here. Um, we're from Cape Town. We've actually, I know that FM, I'll talk about us a little bit later, but this is what it looks like in Cape Town at the moment. And so it's great to have sort of uh, sunny weather, wind still. I'm really enjoying that. Um, my name is Franz Retief, and we founded the company a couple of years ago that goes into podcasting and later streaming, and we've sort of been very passionate about getting time-shifted audio content into the market. Um, working with a whole range of the radio stations, for the guys that don't know us, you know, most of the large radio stations in South Africa uses us, and also a whole range of the big podcasters. And that gives us a very unique view on the market. Unfortunately, we don't have Edison research in South Africa yet, although they're busy setting up the first trial. Edison is a fantastic publication that they've been doing in the US since 2008, I think. Um, which basically tracks patterns. Australia is doing one. We're also very fortunate to have um, James Critland here. James, where are you? Oh, there he is. So he's from Australia, but he does a fantastic podcast um, publication called podnews.net, which I follow. And I'm actually going to sort of open it up. He's also very knowledgeable on world trends around podcasting and figures. So obviously the stuff that I'm presenting is on the podcast that we have visibility on. But, you know, it's a fairly large percentage. I'll go into the numbers just now. Um, and we do cater for radio stations, and I know a lot of that is um, more catch-up than podcasts. Fortunately, some of the radio stations are starting to podcast first and then only um, broadcast a portion. And then there's a range of podcasters that do pure podcasting stuff, which is um, my personal passion as well. So I'm going to talk about uh, stats. Um, first, and then I'm going to talk about trends that we're seeing. So just as an overview, if I'm talking about stats, this is what our, our uh, back-end sort of looks like at a very high level. We've got about 800 radio stations and podcasters that give us content, and we get between 10 and 20,000 episodes every month. And we then distribute it to various places. So firstly, um, to the station websites, which is what we recommend, and our own website also has the content. And then secondly, goes out to all the syndication services and also via RSS around the world. Now, the reason I'm showing this is that if I'm talking about stats, there's two levels. On the one end, you can look at back-end stats, and that is typically a listen, it's an IP address, it's a place somewhere in the world. Um, if you are in our own ecosystem, it can become a unique user, it can become male or female, age, interest groups. So... By the nature of it, if you look at podcasting, the market is still quite fragmented. So what you end up with is about 50% of your traffic is outside your own ecosystem, on our platform at least. But for some guys, it's as high as 90 or 95%. And then 
The rest is on your own website, in your own player, your ecosystem where you get more analytics. So what I'm doing is I'm going to sort of present these two levels of analytics. And people often ask me, you know, South African market, how does that compare to Edison? So this is the, um, the latest podcast consumer research that they've done. Um, you can see since 2008 I've been tracking the percentages. This is a, a survey that they do with a number of respondents and then they track various things. And I can recommend if you're interested, go online, it's all available um, and it's very, very interesting reading. I'm just going to touch on a couple of these. So you'll see um, they had from last year to this year a jump from about 26 to 32 percent of the people that, that they spoke to listened to a podcast on a monthly basis. So in America, you're more than almost a third of people say that they listen to a podcast once a month, which I think is extremely exciting news. <clears throat> um, because of a number of things, what I'm going to show you on this side is actually our podcast listens and that we're tracking on our platform. And so you'll see this is 2014 was very interesting. That's where Serial came out. That's where Gareth Cliff started, you know, Cliff Central Online Radio. That is where some of our big podcasters like Brad Brown started with their podcasting and a range of other things. Massive jump, but just looking at the last five years, year-on-year uh, -year compound annual growth of over 13, actual fact, it's sort of close to 40% growth that we're seeing. We're putting a safety uh, factor in. And we see this both on our... Um, listens, the amount of podcasts being listened to, and also the number of unique users. And um, the unique user count, and keep in mind, we track about 50% of the users as unique users. And if you then extrapolate that across all the listens, if you look at the South African market last year, we got about 4.2 million podcast listeners, unique listeners, which is about 7.4, it's almost 7.5% of the South African population. Which, um, and the year before that, it was about five and a half. So, um, very, very exciting space to be in. And I'll talk about some of the interesting things that's happening. I think, uh, James, if you've got any feedback or things, you know, you can just... Or if you guys want to talk to him afterwards, you can do that as well. So, American market, um, still fairly young. So, this basically, the line shows over the last couple of years, um, yeah, 2019, 18, 17, age 12 to 24, yeah, how many people responded. So you can see um, all the segments are climbing, but it's mostly young listeners. And exciting news, so in America, men and women have been catching up. This is not the whole story, because if you look at the American de demographic, James, I think you said earlier as well, there's now an equal amount of men and women that are listening to podcasts. Um, taking into account the demographic distribution of men and women in the United States. Um, men traditionally led, um, and it's great to see that, you know, that, that has uh, basically that women have, has caught up. Now in South Africa, this is our download stats over the last couple of years since we started tracking uniques. So you'll see we also started with uh, um, more men. Interesting thing is we now have more women on our platform. Um, so they've overtaken, and we also have a lot of uh, female publications and interest groups that are starting to work with us. So that's very exciting. Um, in terms of the age group, we sort of, we've seen a reduction, so the numbers are a bit small, but if you look at the ranges there, as this is 18 to 24, 25 to 34, 35, 34, 45, uh, 54, 55, 64, and then up. So you'll see that our uh, 18 to 24 year old component has dropped. 
But it's actually to a large part also just because the rest of the market or the rest of the segment has been catching up. But at this point, there's a, uh, it's a major audience segment between 25 and 44, so um, relatively similar to what's, what they're uh, seeing in the US. Um, you actually, um, I'd be interested to talk about the Australian stats as well. Um, if there's a bit of time, and maybe we can get to that later, because that's, Australia is another country that's very active in the podcasting space and also doing a lot of research on that. Um, just sort of, sort of topics that I found that people are interested in music, news, information, entertainment, celebrity gossip. You guys can take a quick look at that. I fall into the history category. That's a lot of the podcast history, news, information, business news. That's the sort of stuff that I like listening to. Um, South Africa, we're still not seeing, so our base is still growing, and a lot of the successful people that we see, so people ask me which topics are successful, it seems to me at this stage the guys that are really well at what they do, you know, they're getting huge audiences. It's a combination of broad but then slightly more niche audiences, but you know, you end up having a guy that's great at news and actuality, and he gets a lot of downloads because he's very good at what he does. So we've got a broad spread of, um, of content on our platform and a broad spread of what people listen to. If you talk about advertising, your high LSM or more affluent type content, so business news, uh, high technology, those kind of things are very popular from an advertising viewpoint. I'll talk about advertising a little bit later. This is interesting for me. Um, the people that increase their listening speed, you see that it's gone from 19 to 26%. Now, I fall into that category. I'm sort of listening at between one and a half and two times speed when I'm driving, which allows me to get to my sort of 20 hours of podcast content I want to listen to um, per, per week. And it makes perfect sense to me because if you read fast, you know, and you can listen fast, why listen at normal speed? So um, that's one of the advantages over live streaming. You know, if you're listening to a podcast, you can speed it up and, you know, you can skip and you can even go to something else if it gets boring. Um, and this is why people listen to podcasts once more according to Edison. Learning new things, be entertained, stay up to date, relax, etc. Um, why podcasts are enjoyable? Top one, you can do other things. And that for me, in essence, the power of audio is it's the one medium that you don't have to actively engage with. Video, you need to sit down and watch it. Text, you need to sit down and read it. Podcasting, you can do in the background, and that is, um, I do it while I drive, or I go even for trial running, or whatever, and it's something which is unique in that sense, and it's, I'm very glad to see how the world has been rediscovering the power of storytelling, of audio, of being able to do something in the background. Um, I can talk later about my kids who love podcasting. I've got an 11-year-old and, and a 5-year-old. When we get in the car, they want to listen to podcasts. That's you know, one of the preferred mediums. Um, they don't listen to radio, but you know, podcasts, and if they've got their computers, then video and those sort of things. Um, and just briefly, this once people start listening to podcasts you know, on a weekly basis, they listen to a lot. The average that Edison found, and this is from the 2018 report, was an, a mean average of 6 hours and 37 minutes. So if somebody's a, a weekly podcast listener, it's probably the thing they listen to the most. It's a, my, the preferred media consumption channel. So some of the interesting trends. Um, we're seeing a lot of print media that's starting to move into podcasting. Um, so Tiso Blackstar, we actually have, uh, I have Scott that's heading that up and he's in the audience somewhere. 
there he is. They're doing very interesting things, uh, moving their publications into the audio space as well, and it's great to have him here. Um, Caxton recently launched Rui Rosa, which is their um, uh, premier female magazine, and they're looking at expanding those as well. Sokola Duma, I've spoken to a few times. It's a large local uh, league soccer magazine. Actually, it's massive. It's the largest um, paper publication in the country, as far as I know. And um, you know, they can't go to video because their audience is very, very low income group. Yeah, a lot of them still got Blackberries, so they use prepaid data, but they love audio. They do, you know, on, um, I can talk about the Sokola Duma case study, but when they launched, they, they got more than 100,000 downloads per episode easily, um, and they're just doing one episode a week, which in this market, this, you know, those are very, very good numbers. And which surprised a lot of people because a lot of people say podcasting is just for rich people. Uh, it's not. If your content is good enough, and if it's short enough, you know, people will download it and they'll listen to it. Um, Sokola Duma, so they did, so they did it um, launched with one episode a week. Okay. And How long on is it? Um, they, they did a 20-minute episode, so it compresses down to about three megs. Which is, you know, and what's interesting about Sokola Duma is the guys would listen live. So, you know, you can download or you can listen live. They would listen as far as they're interested and then they'll stop listening because data is so, they're so data sensitive that they're not interested in getting the whole thing. They just want to get to the bit that they want to listen to. Um, right. So, another interesting trend. So, a lot of people, especially Spotify, has moved into the podcasting space in a huge way. Um, and you'll know from the South African market as well. So lots of interest, lots of marketing going into the podcasting space, which is great because, you know, rising tide uh, lifts all the boats. So um, we still, as an industry, you know, we're still competing with, with other mediums, and to get more interest and attention on our field is good for all of us. The other thing is businesses moving into the podcasting space. We're working with a lot of businesses that either work with other companies to do bespoke uh, podcast content. Uh, we've got Peter from Infinity Media sitting here as well. They're doing very interesting things around influencer um, content. Um, and there's some of the, the, the businesses starting to use podcasting to stay connected with their most loyal fan base and also for internal information dissemination. So because you know you need to communicate with your own people. So we'll have a couple of businesses which will have public facing podcast series and then they'll also do internal stuff. It's a fantastic medium. You know, you can get the CEO to do a five minute podcast every week on what's happening and what's important and you just distribute it to the whole group. Um, they do this, you know, on sort of on a, on a, a private or a non-visible type of link, so that it's not public knowledge. And then you've got a, mass, uh, a fantastic um, distribution mechanism. Um, <clears throat> and this is last thing, which is interesting, is how the interest in advertising and podcasting has been growing. So we started pod, uh, podcast advertising. We've got a dynam dynamic advertising engine. So we built podcasts, and we go back. So very quick thing on advertising. If you look at podcast or at advertising and podcasting, traditionally digital works on the fact that you're in a browser, you go to a website, 
They know who you are and they give you ads which is relevant at that point in time. The problem with podcasting is a lot of it is not listened to in websites and they don't support those mechanisms. So what we do is we build the ads and a number of companies have started doing it since 2015. You build the ads into your podcast so that it doesn't matter if somebody's on iTunes or on RSS or wherever, they get ads and you can control that. Um, and uh, as, the uh, as the content provider, you make sure that wherever people listen to your content, you actually get, um, get revenue for that. So um, we work with both with radio stations and podcasters selling their own inventory, and we also work with a number of large agencies. And the exciting thing, you can see sort of 2016, 55% growth, um, 58 in 2017, 71. Um, we're on track this year to and to double or maybe even more than double what we did last year. So the big brands and the big agencies are now starting to notice podcasting and they're very interested in this market. Um, I didn't show whether it is in research, but the thing that I consistently see is let's, let's take a radio station because there's good stats for them. You take a radio station like Metro FM, the podcast listener probably looks a lot like a Metro listener. It's you know, same demographic, same sort of you know, interest in things. The big difference is they're better educated and they um, yeah, have more disposable income. So yeah, it's sort of the cream that, that you're addressing if you're looking at the podcast market. And that makes it a very, very good space for advertisers to move into. So I'm very excited. Than the, the general population. So, but it sort of makes sense. You know, the podcast, a lot of podcast listeners, they're more early adopters. You know, they're interested in technology. They've, um, so looking at Edison Research, they're more likely to have permanent employment and their household income is higher. We don't see those type of stats, but an interesting stat that we tracked, um, Vodacom is our largest um, cellular provider in South Africa, and they publish all the different devices that they have on their network. And on our network, percentage-wise, we almost have four times as many iOS or um, Apple devices as they have. So that sort of you know, does point towards the fact that, that we've got a similar trend in South Africa. And that's basically my presentation. So we're around if this, are you going to do questions afterwards? Yeah, so if you want to maybe... Definitely. Um. Okay, so I neglected to actually introduce myself. Uh, <laughs> so my name is Juliana of Wits Journalism and the Wits Radio Academy. Uh, and I'm standing in for Elna Schutz, who is the creator of Podmeet, and uh, you know, you will have met her. She's in Spain uh, on holiday at the moment, um, so we wish her well. Um, and she's here in our thoughts, um, and she'll join us, I think, for the Cape Town Podmeet, which is happening on Monday. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so I'm going to introduce Verlin and Eric. Um, Verlin is the producer at WNYC for Radio Rookies and The Stakes, and Eric is the producer at Gimlet, uh, for Gimlet, um, at Gimlet, sorry, and the creator of The Nod. Um, so we heard from you guys this morning about the business of podcasting. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the kind of human side. Um, how did you guys get into it? You know, what was your, what was your sort of career path into this world? 
Sure, I can start. It was, uh, uh, to be honest, mostly accident, um, if, I'm, if I'm being frank. Uh, so I had listened to podcasts. I had listened to The Read and, and a few other shows and enjoyed them. Uh, but to be honest, my, my best friend and now co-host uh, and business partner, Brittany, uh, she had a tough conversation with me one day. It was like, you live around the corner from me and we never see each other. Uh, and so I was like, well, let's do a project. And I was like, uh, we, we had always kind of had these really uh, intense conversations about a range of topics related to black culture. Mostly, I read this article that's made me think of this. You know, I read this thing, I saw this thing, and, and, and it would come together. And I, it started as honestly just a, a genesis to capture those conversations. So we started an independent podcast called For Colored Nerds uh, out of my living room. Uh, and uh, it was featured, got featured after a while on. Uh, iTunes, or excuse me, Apple Podcasts, New and Noteworthy, and at that point, Gimlet Media was still uh, pretty nascent. They were, uh, I think, uh, Reply All had just signed on to <laughs> be their, their first show, if you're familiar uh, with Gimlet, and Alex Bloomberg had a, um, he kind of had a habit of listening to, he would listen to like the first five minutes of everything on the first page of New and Noteworthy. And he uh, listened to our show. He said he emailed us and said he, ours was the first one he's ever actually like finished. And at that point, we were making hour-long episodes, so I was I was very appreciative of that. Uh, so yeah, so that kind of turned into so from that honestly, genuinely, he just kind of encouraged us to get into the space, uh, and that eventually turned into uh, jobs at Gimlet. Brittany worked on a show called, or excuse me, hosted a show called Sampler, which was a podcast about podcasts for Gimlet. Uh, and I joined in their development department and kind of helped to launch shows uh, for uh, about a couple of years. And so I worked on uh, a show that we launched called Mogul, uh, which was a hip-hop documentary show that told the story of this um, this uh, manager, Chris Lighty, who, you know, kind of uh, passed away under mysterious circumstances, but managed some of the biggest names in R&B and hip-hop. Uh, I also worked on a show called Undone, which is a new show, uh, in addition to uh, Uncivil, which is a show that, uh, uh, that kind of chronicled a, a new look at the Civil War and kind of the implications of uh, the things uh, that resulted from that in the United States. Uh, but as a part of that process, Brittany and I came to Alex and you know, we said, hey, we have this idea um, for a show that takes kind of a really kind of unique, fun, and weird look at black culture, like really exploring the diaspora uh, and, and approaching it from a new way. And we'd really like to do it here. You know, we've, we've both learned all these uh, wonderful storytelling skills and, you know, and, and gotten some really great experience. I think it's time for us to do it. So we made a, uh, a pilot and Surprisingly, they liked it. Uh, and uh, about two years ago, yeah, they greenlit us to launch. And so the Nod has been running for about a couple of years now. Um, yeah, it's been it's been honestly, it's been it's been frankly, it's been great. It's been a wild ride. So I, I originally came from advertising. I worked in um, social good advertising for foundations, nonprofits, and and uh, political candidates. So it's a very hard switch. I will <laughs> I will say. Uh, but one that ultimately was was extremely fruitful. I didn't know a lot of that, so that was nice to hear. Um, I had a very different journey. <laughs> um, so I, um, in high school, 
want, knew I wanted to be a, a writer, a journalist, and I did a program called Radio Rookies, which is a program out of WNYC that teaches young people how to tell their own radio stories. And I did my story at the time, they, they were like, well, tell a story that you can tell uniquely well. And it was one of the first time that someone actually challenged me to to tell us an untold story about my community, about my life. You know, I think you know, as most people were like, oh, I wanted to do a gentrification story, right? Because at the time, Harlem was vastly gentrifying. All the mom and pop stores at the time were leaving. So I wanted to do that story. And they were like, well, you know, Barbara Walters could do that story, right? So what story could you tell that, you know, WNYC doesn't have access to? And at the time, I was undocumented. And like I was applying for like college and didn't have a social security number. And so I did an investigation on like why is it that I don't have legal status? And you know, my parents are very typical Sierra Leonean African parents. And so the idea that I this microphone gave me the ability to ask them questions I never dared ask them, um, I fell in love with that process. And so when I went to school, I did journalism, media studies. And then I graduated in 2008, where the first time America was ending. Um, like all the banks were like, it was like recession. They was, so no one was hiring. And I was, as an, I say, my African profession was accounting. And so my accounting job was gonna offer me a full-time job. And my mentor at the time told me if I take that job, I'll be doing that for the rest of my life. And so I did the thing where I decided to freelance and just kind of like create my own job opportunities, five, six, seven jobs at a time. But it gave me the ability to kind of make the connection that was necessary to make money in media at the time. I had a video blog. I was just doing a lot of things, working for WNYC, NPR, Ebony Magazine, and just feeling like, you know, that same thing. And also, I should say, I'm trying to get better at saying it. My first story won a Peabody Award. And so it was also, it was not just that I told this story that I could only me can tell, but then I got industry validation at a very young age. And so I kind of kept wanting to do that. I kind of wanted to continue to make sure that my perspectives and the things that I, I care about, I center in my work. Um, and so I come from a very traditional public radio background and so when this podcasting like moment started to happen I, I went to Slate, Slate hired me so Slate magazine is like an online magazine that like one of the first podcasting arms and I was working for them and then you know as far as making money in this industry I think a lot about like I kind of was just had a lot of different jobs but I never had a full-time job I didn't get my first full-time job offer until 10 years later, <laughs> until 2016. Well, I guess that's is that two, uh, 10 years later, 2008, 20, I don't know math. Uh, it's eight, thank you. <laughs> uh, eight years later, and so, and the only reason I got the job at Slate is because WNYC finally offered me a full-time job, and so that's a major key, get a job offer, and then that will help you get another job offer. Um, and, you know, a lot of what Eric was saying as far as, like, being like this new space, people are taking chances, but I really felt like I was storytelling, I wanted to get back into that, and so I went back to WNYC. And that's the other thing, like taking risks, right? Don't just go with what is comfortable, because you could, this industry, like you always go back. Like people are constantly like trying to rehire folks, and so I went back to WNYC for a new show called The Stakes, which is a highly um, narrative-driven show about the world we live in. It's by design, about choices that people make, and yeah. 
I think I'll stop there. Cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't need that. You can okay. hold on to it. <laughs> um, great, thank you. That was a really interesting kind of journey that I think you both took. Um, so I think I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to pass it over to the floor because I think there are a lot of people who want to ask you guys a bunch of things. Um, but in general then, what would be your advice for you know, somebody in South Africa who's starting out from a kind of lower base, you know, fewer resources, a much smaller um, potential audience? Uh, what would, your, would be your advice? I mean, I think make like the unique. What can you tell uniquely well? I think there's a lot of times an instinct to kind of recreate what you already see or something that you really like, and you're so you're like, I want to do that. I want to like you know, like I, I said in an earlier session, like I would say 75% of the people that tell me they want to start a podcast, what they really want mean is that they want to be the read. I mean, like, <laughs> oh, this American Life. Yeah, it depends on. No, yeah, <laughs> and um, and so I would say think about what you wanna, what you what you have access to, um, and not and I do think that the industry there's a lot of buzzwords around like, um, you know, what what the audience and a lot of times when people say audience I think what they're really talking about is the typical this American life audience which is like a straight white man. And so I'm always just like, well, what do you mean by this doesn't have an audience, right? And so just constantly challenging what, um, what you want to do and think about why you, th why you think you want to do that. Because I bet you it's probably because of, you know, assumptions that maybe people that are trying to get money or trying to give you money. Like just challenging, I think, the norms. I think that's what I'm mostly interested in at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head. I think it's, it's, finding, it's finding the stories that you want to tell and then finding a unique approach to telling them. You know, uh, the, show that my, the show that Brittany and I created originally for Color Nerds is a, is, a, is a chat show. You know, it's just the two of us talking. We would do the occasional interviews. But we tried to, we listened to a bunch of the chat show, like everything, like literally everything we possibly could to see how we might be able to differentiate ourselves in that space to make listening to that different, feel different, experience different. Uh, and then we honestly just frankly really committed ourselves to the learning. We both had full-time jobs. Uh, you know, I had a, a, a baby at the time, a, a very young kid. And so literally, you know, the fact that I didn't sleep that much. Actually, it was a boon. I could edit <laughs> uh, in the times when my kid was taking a nap or watch YouTube videos on you know, how, to, you know, how to do this one specific thing that I could never figure out in Pro Tools or Audacity or Hindenburg, but just uh, really committing yourselves to uh, the training of trying to understand the concepts of how to do this because that will help you grow in the way you tell your stories. You know, one of the things I was really thankful for uh, in going to Gimlet is I, I just started to get exposed to just new approaches to storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our original show, our independent show, which we kept going until the Nod launched, uh, started to slowly evolve. We want to just try things. You know, we mm -hmm. did a reported story. We, mm -hmm. you know, went out into the field. We tried experimenting with airing a live show and like how we would, how we would score it. Like, we just experimented. The, the nice thing about podcasting um, is that you can learn in public, and a lot of times your audience is actually excited to grow with you. They want to hear your show evolve. They want to hear you uh, excel. And so I would encourage everyone to uh, 
not be daunted by the fact that it is a lot of work and, and finding an audience is extremely difficult. But if you focus on the show first, if you make the show good, it's a much easier sell in terms of acquiring the audience later on down the road. Uh, and so I, I really think it's, it's just understanding what you were meant to tell, how you were meant to tell it, and then committing yourself to doing that as much as, much as possible over and over again. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, I'm going to hand it over to the floor. I do want to say, um, before you ask your question, introduce yourself um, and just tell us, you know, if you've got a podcast or you're thinking of, you know, creating one, what the, what the idea is. Remember, it's for networking, so this is your opportunity to shine. Uh, we'll start in the front here. Um, my name is Mighty Jamie. I'm conceptualizing a Pan-African podcast. Um, can, can do we, we need to, yeah, what can we... We're actually recording this. Yeah. Oh, okay, so that so, makes sense. Yeah, so all of the sessions are on, on the, web, we on the really mic? nice website. No. Oh, okay, cool. So that makes sense for the mic. Okay. Uh, my name is Mighty Jamie, um, conceptualizing a Pan-African podcast. Hmm? And he'll, I think my question is around audience acquisition. Let's say you do have a unique concept and you've got a unique way of telling the story. The, some of the stuff you mentioned, you know, like you don't have an Alex Bloomberg, you don't have... Uh, as easy access to new and notable recommendations on, on the iStore, I mean, on the podcast app. And also, the number of iPhone users here is, is not as great. So the way people come across the information is not the same. So I think maybe because you've been behind the scenes there at Gimlet, what, what like bootstrap type of ideas can you maybe just throw out there um, for that initial audience acquisition, like how do you get from zero to a thousand? It takes a minute, but I, I would honestly recommend thinking outside, outside the box a little bit. So you want to do a lot of research to figure out the... the uh, so one of the things we did uh, when we created For Color Nerds and when we created The Knot is create uh, a profile of an ideal person. I think, I'm trying to remember what we called Oh man, what do we call it? We got some good names. But uh, one of them, we we, so for the nod, we had two. I'm trying to remember what we called our female listener, but we called our male listener Jamal, right? And so <laughs> we were like, Jamal is, you know, probably either like uh, an upperclassman in college or has graduated from college uh, and is looking to challenge himself in terms of the, the way he thinks about, you know, black culture. He reads a lot. You know, um, he is on the cusp of news and different things like that. And we want to be able to challenge that person and make that person excited. So, uh, and we, we did a couple of those profiles. And those are the, the basics of who, you know, we essentially make the show for. Obviously, the show is for everyone. Uh, but if we had to crystallize it, these are the, you know, these are the people we were talking to. And so then we went out and we looked for those people. Are, where are they on social media? Where are they, uh, what music are they listening to? What, what movies are they watching? Where are they congregating to talk about those things? And then you can try to figure out how to be in those spaces. So that's, that's, that's one way to approach that. But also, you mentioned that, uh, for example, iPhone, uh, iPhone adoption here is not maybe as high as it is in the States. Uh, you might want to focus on, um, one, you might want to think a lot about making sure that you're 
covered in a broad, like you're covered broadly by distribution. So, you know, using your RSS feed to make sure that you're placed on uh, not just Apple Podcasts, that you are also on, you know, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or, or uh, whatever, you know, whatever the, the, the uh, kind of distribution platforms that people are using heavily. You also might want to think about file size too. You know, you th think about like if people are struggling to, um, you know, to, to use internet, if, you, if your episode is like 100 megabytes, uh, 100 megabyte download, somebody's gonna think twice about downloading that. So you might wanna you know, think about your show there, but just making it easy for people to approach there. But there are also other things that you can do. Let's say your listener, whoever, let's say Jamal, for example, uh, is, he also listens to things on YouTube or SoundCloud. You might want to cross post. And that cross posting, you know, in the interim, yes, that's going to probably cannibalize some of the audience that you might have been, that you might have hopefully gotten purely through the podcast itself, but you might also be acquiring audiences from a new space. And there might be things that you can offer on the podcast that maybe they don't get on YouTube or somewhere else. So a lot of it is really trying to identify who your primary uh, and secondary audiences are. We mentioned that earlier today in the session. You might hear about it again tomorrow. Uh, but then trying to go find where they are and figure out how you can insert yourself into those conversations. Uh, and what can you show off about your podcast in those spaces that would make them want to seek that out. But one other thing I would highly recommend, the most important thing that you can do in general is be on other podcasts or get your podcast content in someone else's podcast. Uh, you want to meet people where they are. People who listen to podcasts, they usually listen to a lot. You know, you, you, it's rare that you find someone who's like, I only listen to one podcast. They usually listen to like at least five or six. And so, you know, think about for this person who is the, 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 the primary person you want listening to your show, what other shows do they likely listen to? Who would your competitors be? Can you pitch those shows? You know, could you, be, could you go on as a guest? Um, maybe you bring them on as a guest. Maybe you offer some sort of swap of promo, like, hey, I'll shout you out if you shout me out. But think about how to put yourself in the spaces where your people already are. A lot of times those promo swaps, uh, you know, being a guest on someone else's show or even a fee drop, those are things that we don't typically pay for. You know? So those are things that are, that are free. It takes you know, sweat equity to be able to, to make those relationships, but it can be very fruitful mm -hmm. in terms of the audience acquisition yeah. piece. Yeah. I, I was okay. going to add that I really love the Jamal, the character, like figuring that out. Because when we were starting The Stakes, which is um, out of WMIC, a new show, the, they did a bus ad campaign. Mm -hmm. And they put it, so anyone that's been to New York City, there are different lines that go to different areas. They put the bus ad campaign on like the R and the W line, which is like Upper West Side. Or, it was like a weird, like I had to like try go outside of my normal like commute to see the ad. And I said that that says a lot about like who you're actually targeting. And so, I, you know, like I thought about like, why we should be putting this on dollar vans. So dollar vans are these like vans that go into like the two fare zone. So people that get off the train and then have to take another bus, they usually just get on a dollar van, mostly Caribbean black folks, right? And so if we're talking about reaching different audiences, like 
we should be having it on a dollar van. So I think like think about like what he was saying, like getting into the physical space and like what are the creative ways that your person is, where your person is. But, but one other small thing I'll add is don't sell yourself short on reaching out to the platforms themselves. They all have editorial teams yes. and their editorial teams are looking to showcase a wide variety of content. You know, people get sick of just hearing from the same, uh, you know, those same like big companies, including my own company, all the time. They're constantly looking to feature other shows. And so you can, e you can simply email them. I think, I'm trying to remember. I used to know it when I was in development. I'm not in development anymore. But, uh, but you can, their, their emails are public often, and you can just email them and say, hey, I'm coming out with a new show. Here's a, here's a trailer or an episode. I would love to talk to someone or explore to see if it's possible to get featured. And that featuring is massive. You know, and, and if you can do that, if you can create that relationship and they are interested in your content, um, they will put it out there and that is free. That is not, you know, that's not paid. Uh, now, that's not something that will necessarily happen every week. Uh, but if you have a tentpole episode, one that you're really excited about, it, maybe it's just your launch episode, that can make a significant difference in how you pick up audience. Okay, thanks. Yeah, we had a question here and then... Hi, my name is Christia. Um, I host a podcast called The Fat Wallet Show. Uh, and I'm also a voracious listener of podcasts. And I feel a bit embarrassed asking this because I listen to podcasts on both your networks. Um, I've become incredibly good at skipping ads <laughs> in podcasts. <laughs> like, I've, it's really, I've got it down to like a science now at this point. How do you guys, Francois, uh, deal with that in your network? Like, how do you handle the fact that people do not want to listen to ads and podcasts? I must say, I also typically skip some of the ads. <laughs> um, the first thing, so on our side, is you need to get the uh, equilibrium between the listener and the producer and the advertiser. And the first thing actually is to get ads which are good enough that people don't want to skip them. And if you do good targeting, then your audience are actually interested in listening. Um, and then there's a couple of other things like make it short, so that if you do skip, you end up in the middle of the content, then you have to go back in any case. So rather just listen to it. Um, but from our side, the idea is, you know, but, uh, an advertiser can't come and say, well, you know, I pay for the slot, I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. You need to provide value to your listener. And in the podcasting space, that is huge. So um, we don't, um, we allow people to skip ads on our platform. You don't have to listen to it if you don't want to. It's the job of the advertiser and the people around it to actually make it compelling. So, um, but then again, as I said, we also we don't have to just skip the ad. We have a fast forward function. So you can do a number of things to make sure that people still listen to your ads. The research, though, so that Edison published as well, says that if you listen, to, talk to podcast listeners, Mitros did an 11,000 uh, respondent survey, and more than half the people said they positively, um, or they um, listened to the ads, and about 80% said they positively influenced to actually go and do something about it. And Edison saw roughly the same. So if you do your ads well, it works well. But it's certainly not a space where you can just you know, mess around with the listeners. Mm. Cool. Cool. We'll go to James and then... Cool. Thank you. Uh, my name is James yes. Cridland. I'm editor of podnews.net, which is an excellent newsletter that you should all subscribe to for free. <laughs> podnews.net. Did I mention that, uh, that address again, podnews.net? Anyway, um, a, question, uh, a question for you both. Um, more and more podcasts are going subscription 
uh, only. So there's Luminary in the US, but also there's um, Podimo in Denmark and Quake Media and Magellan in France and many more. And some podcasts are also going exclusive. So obviously Mogul, which you worked on, Eric, is now only available on, or is only available on Spotify, albeit available for free uh, for, for at least a window. What are your thoughts in terms of um, podcasting? Are we moving away from free and available to everybody, or are we, uh, or is this anything that we need to worry about? Here. I'm still holding on to a microphone. Here it is, back again. Um, well, I don't think we need to be worried. I think. I think the trend that you observe is accurate, though. I think the uh, I think platforms themselves, as you know, uh, Spotify, which had, had mainly been, uh, I think, initially involved in, in distribution uh, of podcasts and, and, and mostly music, obviously, uh, as they get more into content, they want to provide uh, things and incentivize people to subscribe to Spotify. Uh, so, it, you know, it's kind of natural that they would, uh, you know, want to create things that feel exclusive to that platform. I think, it, you know, if I'm being honest, I'm speaking for myself, I'm not speaking for, for Spotify uh, in, this, in this moment, or even Gimlet, but I think, I think there should be a mix. I think, you know, there are some podcasts, like I know, I know creators who are uh, going to work, you know, at Luminary, for example, and Luminary is offering the budget that allows them to make the type of show that they've always wanted to make. And I understand, the, I, like, as someone who made a podcast in their living room, it is hard. It is expensive. Uh, it's time-consuming. And so the idea of having the amount of resources to make and tell the stories that you would like to make uh, is an exciting one. And so I can understand wanting to, if, if a company like Luminary, for example, or even, even Spotify or, or Gimlet, if it was an exclusive, that's not necessarily something they're pursuing right now, uh, was going to offer that, I can understand the incentive to take that. Uh, I don't think that's something that will be, um, I don't think it's going to be a sweeping trend, for example, like even with Mogul, for example, like it's, it's you know, windowed. Crime Town is another show that we have, a true crime podcast uh, that existed on a window where you heard it first on Spotify and then it wide released everywhere else later. I think situations like that will become more frequent um, just because the platforms themselves, they want, they want you to understand we are also making something special. Uh, so, you know, I think my, you know, my goal is to make sure that people can still get uh, the nod everywhere they listen to podcasts. You can check that out. Uh, and I think that's something we will continue to, to emphasize. Uh, but I do think there's a trend that will grow. I think what will be interesting is to see uh, how it shakes out in terms of uh, what people are willing to to pay for these types of services and how that actually fits into, does it change the equation of how it fits into their daily life if they are now paying for that content? Uh, and so I think that is an important thing to watch. Uh, but, but that trend doesn't necessarily worry me. I think it's a reflection of the kind of the, uh, not only the saturation of the market, but just the way platforms are moving. And it, and it is interesting to see how it, how it continues. I quickly, so we follow, we've been following this trend and we actually had premium content since 2014 on our platform. And around the world, there's more and more restrictions on personal information. Act South Africa, Poppy, 
protection of personal information. Europe, there's a, a, um, a huge bill that has come out America on what information you're allowed to keep and how you need to handle it. And it's good, but there's sort of, there's at the moment, there's a move away from, oh, you know, people are taking my information and um, the effect of that is that advertising is becoming less valuable because there's less information available that you can use to connect to the to the, listen, to the listener. What's also interesting is people are starting to use ad blockers. I went on to, I think, Daily Maverick the other day, and I was actually at that point, I didn't use an ad blocker, but I was testing one, and this little pop-up that came and said, you're using an ad blocker. We really need this advertising to make our business work. If you want to continue use, please click here and pay $2. Um, or option B, I'm going to switch off my ad blocker. Or option C, screw journalists, why do they need to eat anyway? So. <laughs> So people are starting, and, and there's this swing constantly, and so at the moment it's moving more towards premium content, but if you think of mechanisms, um, people need to pay somehow. You either pay through advertising, because you guys, you, know, you need to make a living out of this. You know, all of us, we love what we do, but we're not a charity. Um, so if it becomes, you know, advertising becomes too uh, not lucrative enough, people will have to find other monetization models. Um, maybe you know, people will have to start by if it becomes too expensive, people are going to start pirating the stuff like they do with music. So everything is balanced, and if you turn one dial, all the other dials move as well. So I think we're definitely moving more towards premium content, and there's a bunch of people that have got very good premium content. But as a listener, if I can find the same thing with enough, you know, a less or, or less a few enough adverts that it doesn't irritate me, I might go for the free offering. Whichever is the most suitable to me, that's where I'm going to go. Berlin, yeah, yeah. did you want to? As a contact, and I see your hand, you are definitely going to be next. <laughs> As a contact creator, it scares me because I see there, I think that most people don't know what actually it takes to make something good. And so they're giving a lot of money to individuals that it took a whole team to make that podcast what it was, right? And so I, I'm, I'm a little worried. Um, I think, for instance, Luminary, because that's the most recent one in the States that I can think of, is interesting. I would be more interested if they were like Luminary... Um, the platform does this dynamic new thing that makes it so much more easier to listen to. A like if the actual platform was what they were selling, I think I'd be a lot more excited. But it's, it, it strikes me as that they don't necessarily know what makes something good, that they're like pitching personalities. Um, I'll stop there because maybe they want to hire me one day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we also had this, this guy. Okay. Go, great. We've got another mic. Hi, my name is Andy um, Lemasugu. We'll okay. My name is Andy I'm the executive producer and host of the African Tech Roundup podcast, as well as a, a podcast producer and host for the BBC, uh, which I do storytelling for them. And I had two questions which are kind of related. Uh, the first one's for you, Eric, which is um, what goes into deciding whether shows working at Gimlet? Mm. What, what's the internal politics around keeping the nod? a thing. Sure. Um, and then for both of you, uh, I wanted to ask if you were in my position, which is the African Tech Roundup has a sizable audience now. It's monetizing. We monetize in other ways outside of the podcast, etc. And so, you know, what do you think should go into deciding whether or not to approach uh, a distribution platform or a, a production house that typically buys in new titles? Where are you based? based in Johannesburg uh, and uh, the UK. 
Uh, so those are two really great questions, I just want to say. Uh, so first, what uh, determining success is, I think is the, the general gist of, of, of what you're asking. So there, there are kind of a lot of things that go into it, and I think this is something that, that, um, that is also important to understand about podcasts at like networks. So there's a significant amount of investment that goes into uh, like a show like The Nod before it comes out. Uh, that doesn't typically happen with independent shows. So it actually takes a significant amount of time for those shows to kind of, there's like an arc to, or maybe the arc goes like that. <laughs> uh, maybe the arc goes down and swings up. But in terms of the, uh, the, the level of revenue and profit and like downloads and in terms of how that, that uh, is assessed, it usually takes a bit of time for a podcast to really cement its audience and like get going. So, you know, The Nod has been around for two years at this point. So, you know, what we're looking at, we're looking at how many people are downloading the show. Uh, we're looking at, you know, how long are they spending listening. We're looking at um, advertiser and sales interest in the show. We're looking at audience, like, uh, enthusiasm. You know, are we, you know, are we, um, what is the space that we're filling in our audience lives? How is that important? Is that replicated somewhere else? Uh, you know, one of the, one of the I, I don't know that every network works like this, but the, one of the nice things about Gimlet is like, you know, Gimlet wants to make good shows. They want to make shows that serve a purpose, that create empathy and drive empathy. And so, you know, if, if your show is meeting that, that's an important part of whether or not it continues. If they feel like the storytelling, the mission of the show is something that aligns with what they want to be in the business of. And so all those things kind of work together, and it changes. And if I'm being super honest, it's actually even changing right now. You know, we were just acquired by Spotify, which has, uh, you know, which is, is, is kind of built off a completely different model. Uh, and so, you know, they're, uh, you know, Matt and Alex and, uh, Matt Lieber and you know Alex Bloomberg and and you know even the people over at Spotify has communi have communicated that they're you know they're still they're reassessing like how to understand performance in that particular way. So traditionally you have your important markers: downloads, time spent listening, you know audience enthusiasm, advertiser interest. Those are kind of some of the big ones. But then you know it comes down to kind of some of the other things uh, that I mentioned, like you know what where are the stories you're telling who. Is that, is that an audience that is underserved? Like all those things are very important to the life of the show uh, and luckily have worked in our favor <laughs> to date on the nod. Uh, to go to your other question, which was about kind of assessing when it's time to appeal to a new, uh, to a network, uh, for example. And I think that really stems to what your vision is with your show uh, and what you actually need to accomplish it. So, um, for the not so when we were producing for Color Nerds, for example, Brittany and I, uh, we did that together. You know, we uh, for we produced a show in total for four years, and then we uh, f we only had a producer on that probably for the last year. We had been kind of banking some ad revenue. We were like, no, what? Why? Why stress ourselves out? We need some help. Um, and that producer really changed the game. We were able. We realized, wow, I can come up with so many more ideas. Uh, if I have some help editing or if I have some help, you know, prepping for an episode or something like that. And so the idea of working with a network that might be able to provide us with a team, I realized or we realized would greatly increase our efficiency, our efficiency and we could create a much more ambitious show. Uh, and so then it was communicating to Gimlet, like, this is kind of what we're doing. This is our idea for what this show could be. But these are the things that we need to accomplish it. 
We need better marketing support. We need, uh, we need a fuller team, you know, and we had to be specific about what that truly meant. Uh, and let's see, what else? I mean, we asked for a lot, if I'm being honest. Salaries. Uh, <laughs> salaries, you know what I'm saying? Like the stability to be able to continuously work on this as a full-time project. Like all those things were very important, but we felt, we were able to communicate to them, if we get those things, one, this is the type of show that we could make that is different from what you're hearing right now. And this is who I think it could serve. This is the audience, like, you know, in terms, of, uh, in terms of podcasts that serve black audiences, most of them are geared, you know, towards like chat and interview shows. I'll be honest, a lot of them are great. I listen to most of them. But I wanted to be able to provide, we wanted to be able to provide something that felt a little different. And so that is something that did not exist. And so we went to them and we said, hey, if you give us these resources, we're able to accomplish this type of show. We think it serves this audience that you currently are not reaching. They'll do some due diligence, it'll go, you know, they'll see if the, kind of the numbers work, if that works for them, if they think that's a segment that they want to be in, and, you know, and then they kind of make a determination from there. But the thing you want to emphasize is the, va the unique value of your show, what it could be, and what you need to get there. Because those are the determinations on what they're going to see to even test the waters on a pilot. I have a follow-up question. Yeah. Did you? Why didn't you do for color nerds? Because there's a lot of um, in like API, like who owns it? Sure. Now they are asking for acquisitions for possible TV deals. Like, how did you? Like, why didn't you just you know do for color nerds? And what, what were they asking? Or like, I don't know if you could share that, but like, what, what were they? What would have taken for you to have done? Sure. Well, this comes to the pros and the cons of those things. So one, when you sign up with a network, you're sharing ownership. You know, they're, they're, they're investing a lot. They want a piece of that, you know, uh, and a piece of all subsequent things. Uh, for us, for Color Nerds was something, like, we literally we built it with blood, sweat, and tears. And that show, one we felt was different. So, you know, if I'm being honest, the tagline for Color Nerds was, you know, the conversations that black people have and white people aren't in the room. Uh, if you're making a show on, Gimlet Media, Net, on the Gimlet Media Network, it's going to be a, little, a lot of white people in the room. You know, and, and it, it, though, that was a conversational-based show. So we, we wanted to do something that felt, that felt very different. We wanted it to have a unique identity. Uh, and also, it was ours. That was something that we had built together. We still own it. You know, like, worst case scenario, if Gimlet blew us up, we could go back and start making that show in my living room today. Uh, and so we wanted to kind of protect that IP and the, the idea that we had and wanted to move towards was a bit different. Uh, but, but those kind of what you're getting at is true. You do need, you do want to think about, um, you know, uh, with their investment, you are, you're ceding some ownership and what that actually means for you and what, what amount of ownership are you willing to see that you do feel comfortable with. That's important. Uh, for us, the, the one other thing I'll say is that like, one of the things that made us feel comfortable about Gimlet itself was the amount of editorial control that we were going to maintain. It's, you know, it's our show. If we want to, like, literally, if Brittany made an episode about uh, why the movie White Chicks was one of, you know, is, should be in the criteria Criterion Collection, they had no qualms about that. We just did it, put it out. We didn't ask anybody, and that's something we really appreciate. So all those factors kind of go into that mix. Um, so I'm going to get a question from you, and then is there anyone else who, yeah, at the back. Okay, so I'm going to do, uh, you ask your question, and then I'll hand the mic to you. Hi, my name is Norm. I'm, um, I work for a number of companies all in the influencer marketing space, uh, from macro influencers, uh, nano influencers, 
uh, employer advocacy, and uh, one of the new companies is Echocast. It's Echocast.radio. They do branded podcasts, and where I'm involved with those, I do. Um, I'm on the collaboration side and the ops side, connecting uh, with the brands and with the communication between the brands and the actual uh, digital creatives. Um, so my question is a long introduction, but just to ask Francois, quite a simple question. Um, so on the, the technical side is that um, with Spotify, we're we, very easy to get all of the, your hosted podcasts across onto all of the other apps and quite easy, but we struggle with Spotify specifically. And going into the, a lot of the special interest groups on Facebook, it seems to be that they only favor certain hosts. Is that a, is that a, a relationship you're working on to make that easier? Good afternoon uh, slash evening. My name is Mzwandi Ngumalo. I'm a manager at Boston Media House and I also produce imaging. And I'm an aspiring uh, establisher of a radio station, specifically uh, podcasting. So I, I feel like um, with, with considering the environments and what you said, uh, my brother in the black, that as much as we love what we do, it's not um, charity, right? So the reality is, uh, in my surrounding, I'm from Swaziland, by the way, I'm here purely with what I said earlier. Um, expensive data, right? That's the reality uh, with, with the network providers, cell, cellular network, right? And then consumption of the content online. I figured there could be a solution I don't know whether I'm bringing out all my secrets or whatever, but I, I like to get guidance, really, that imagine now uh, partnering with these mobile companies and establishing radio bundles. For instance, how WhatsApp has WhatsApp bundles. Even if you run out of airtime, you get the time, you still have it because you subscribe that 55 bucks for that specific app or whatever it is. So you always have that wallet there. So... What, what, what do you think can, do you think that's even, that even makes sense? And if it does, how can, how can one uh, go about that? Or maybe just guidance going forward. Thank you. Well, and I'm sensitive to this question, but I will just say that I definitely, it is on. I definitely feel like you definitely gave away a gem. Because <laughs> that's a brilliant idea. And I kind of, you know, even to the question about like, you know, you have this big audience, Afrotech, you know, I think we need to value our expertise, right? That's an expert. You, I didn't even know about the WhatsApp bundle, right? And so you, your experiences give you an insight of what, how people, the, your target audience, what they're using and how they use technology that like, I never in a million years, we could sit here forever and think about ways to get people to download a specific podcast. I never would have thought of that. So like valuing that expertise and taking it to, you know, your organization or, you know, that's, yeah, I'll start, I'll give <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, th that is one thing that you could, you know, potentially talk about. It's also kind of goes back to the meeting people where they are. Like, I mean, uh, one of the things that makes me think about is like, you know, you might want to, are there ways to partner with places that provide free Wi-Fi? 
You know, like, are there ways, like, where can you go where that helps to kind of subsidize the impediment that is, that is stopping people from being able to access your show more freely? It might, you know, that might take a little bit of network, uh, of legwork, but there also might be larger organizations like a Spotify, like cellular networks that you might be able to talk to, you know, uh, or establish relationships with to get those conversations started. Trust me, these are things that they want to solve. They want people to be downloading these shows. They want people to use their networks, both the service providers, because that's, that makes you know, their, their ability to provide those unique relationships is a unique value proposition to them. And obviously, the, the uh, distribution platforms and the podcasts themselves want that to happen as well. So I, you know, if you're having that idea, I think the, you know, the best thing to do is to think about smaller ways that you might be able to test it. Um, and then, yeah, I would absolutely talk uh, to to others. I'll be honest. With you, the, the, I didn't understand the, the the other question. The question is just integration with Spotify. Sure. So, so I'll quickly link onto this. So, there's actually a couple of guys in South Africa that does have free podcasts. So, Gareth Cliff did that. Um, so, the guys are talking to the networks. The problem is getting a value proposition because they're also not a charity, so they want to know who's going to pay for it. So if you want to go and you want to pay for people to listen to your podcast for free, then they are very happy to do that. Um, but you know, if you want them to pay for the data, then it becomes a more difficult conversation. So there are a couple of bundles and there are options. And that's also something that we as a platform are very, very interested in. We've had a couple of conversations around that, but it's not getting to the point where it's actually you know, bearing the fruits of having a free podcast bundle. But there are some interesting things which are happening there. Um, the, another thing which is really important is, and it's starting to uh, go towards the pot, uh, Spotify thing. So to answer your question, we actually have an agreement. We signed an agreement with Spotify. Um, I think you've been following up on that. You know, um, Scott has been following it closely. And we've been trying to adapt our, so we've adapted our system to work with theirs. And they've been busy trying to get it to work with us as well. And the challenge with Spotify, the particular thing that's holding it up is I was talking earlier about distribution. So what they do with a lot of podcasts is they actually make another copy. So if you list on iTunes, iTunes just directs traffic to whoever hosts it. And it's great because you get all your analytics in one place. Um, and if you do intelligent advertising like ours, you monetize all your downloads. If um, you work with another hosting platform like SoundCloud, or in this case, Spotify, then they make another copy of your file. You so if to, this, you, have to it. Um, you actually just use RSS, so they import it yeah. uh, directly. So all downloads goes against their platform, so you have your analytics in two places, your advertising doesn't work the way that it, um, you know, that, that you think it's working anymore. And so we signed an agreement, which is sort of exclusive or, uh, um, in South Africa, as far as we know, where they surf against our servers. Now the problem, another problem, and the reason what's holding it up at the moment, is I've got very high data requirements. So our, um, you're talking about data cost, so our low quality profile is 28 kilobits per second. That's uh, about yeah, 12 megs per hour that you pay. Now Spotify, requires files in at least over 100 megabits per second. So, and that's, that is why local context is important. So if you're on SoundCloud, you're paying at least 55 megs per hour to listen to a file. If you're on our platform, which has been developed for low uh, or high cost bandwidth, then you know, you're only using 14 megs per hour. So there's a number of things. But so in terms of Spotify, we're very close to solving that. 
And as soon as that's um, as the pass-through mechanism is in place, which I expect to um, to be within the next couple of weeks, then we're going to roll it out and everybody can list there. In the meantime, you can list on our platform. The only thing is that you're going to be fragmenting your audience until that is up and running. I guess my question is like, why why does a South African podcast need to be on Spotify? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is there a way to monetize uh, South, uh, even a South Africa in the sense of different Afri South African countries or even Africa in general, like that audience? You know, like, I guess that's my, I'm always curious. I do think the West, America, there is a tend to be like, American audience already has the audience, already has the money. I guess my, I'm curious about like, what can we create if we didn't think we needed Spotify? I think, um, I think your platform is important and having the right platform for your content. So let's say you are in South Africa. If you are on Iono, we're already plugged into the advertising agencies. You know, we've got technology which has been proven in this market. That is a huge advantage. At the same time, list your content as far as you can. But actually, in fact, what we normally say, yet we work, work with a lot of businesses, where we say to them, try and first get your audience on your own website in your own space because you've got multiple messages. It's much better if somebody is getting their content from it's just your Facebook page mm -hmm. because you can see who's listening, you can send the messages, they see your pictures. If they're in Spotify, they're a Spotify listener. So, but at the same time, and you know, all our avid, I don't know, you probably, you've got a podcast application, as do I, even though I've got a platform. Um, because if you're a really, you know, hardcore podcast listener, you want a lot of the functionality that you can't get. So list on the other services as well. But make sure that you maintain control of your audience and your content. Okay, one last thing from you, Eric, and then we'll wrap up. And I'll just, I'll just mention, as, as a person who also works with Spotify on a, on a panel, but, uh, but I, I, you know, there is some also, there's some value. Spotify is doing a lot to acquire, uh, like, a significant volume of audience, for example, uh, across a wide variety of audience demographics as well. So there can be some significant value to, uh, to tapping into that. It might not be the most important for you to pursue initially, that's actually, it's a really great point, especially if in terms of like building your audience locally. But if you're looking for scale, you know, if you're looking to kind of broaden out, that can be a great way to pursue that if it feels like something that's yeah. right for you.